Coming at you from Cornerstone's Plugged In Studio. I'm your host, Al Dominic, and I have quite the treat today. Having a conversation with the brand new head of the Consumer Bankers Association, Lindsay Johnson. Lindsay, it's awesome to have you here. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here, Al. Now, how long until I have to drop the new to the, the CBA moniker? What do you think? Six months, a year? When do you think we can retire that thing? No, man, I'm telling you, that's that's here to stay. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we think it's awesome that you're taking a little bit of time to join us here on Plugged In so we can get really uh, deep into what's happening in our nation's capital. Anticipating our conversation, I picked five classic road trip songs that as a parent, I love to embarrass my kids by singing. I know Lindsay's got some children around my children's age, so hopefully she'll have a smile on her face as I bust out some jams. Uh, but you know, Lindsay, before I do, I want to apologize because I was going to try to surprise you with a new Twitter handle. Your old, uh, the old CBA boss liked to roll with the Cajun banker one. You, I think, have a, a pretty nondescript uh, CBA one. You're from the Lone Star State. We got to get you something cool to put next to your name. That's right. Any suggestions? Texas Tyrant? I'm open. The Come on. <laughs> We're not going to use the Texas Tyrant just yet, but that could be shortlisted. So let's see what we get into. But I promise you some tracks and like we've been doing on past episodes of Plugged In, I'm going to try my best not to sing too badly because we just don't have the budget to put all the, the classic rock up in front of everyone. But if I was to ask you, Lindsay, about Blue Oyster Cult and their famous hit, Don't Fear the Reaper, do you think that's the type of uh, song that would let us talk about the regulatory wild cards that bankers need to prepare about today? Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, uh, there's there's a lot of wild cards that we should be expecting. So that that may actually be somewhat appropriate. Well, we, we, maybe we'll hum it together some other time. But, you know, let's kind of think about what's happening in the regulatory world. In my head, I think about payments, M&A, uh, consumer protection, cybersecurity, cyber regulations. There's a whole long list that we could get into. Could we just start at the top? The payment space, that's demanding time and attention. What are you seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of kind of wild cards in this space, everybody's focused on payments. One, just the future of payments and what that looks like. Um, but we know that there's going to be a lot of focus and attention from the CFPB on fees generally. So just credit card late fees is a big issue. Obviously, we've already had to contend on the legislative front with Durbin Marshall, um, which you know goes to uh, the same issue that we saw with the original Durbin Amendment for uh, for debit cards, for credit cards. So there's going to be a lot of focus on that space. And then something that CBA has been spending a lot of time on is P2P transactions and the P2P networks. And the future of those networks, a lot of attention has been given to the fraud on those networks and what that really kind of, uh, you know, is, is going to lead to from a regulatory perspective. And could the CFPB take action on Reg E? Um, so a lot of discussion around that. And then, you know, the future of payments, whether it's FedNow and, and obviously some of the other conversations uh, are, are front and center for our members. Yeah, there's some sad math that bankers are going to have to do potentially next July, June, July. And, you know, when I think about the regulatory landscape that we're in, it continues to, to shift. Talk a little bit about, you know, the midterm elections. Now that they're behind us, all the ads mercifully are going to stop, you know, inundating us in, in the morning. But there's some new things that we're going to have to think about as an industry. What are your key takeaways 
Yeah, well, talk about a wild card, right? I mean, um, once again, elections kind of take twists and turns and give some surprises uh, to a lot of different folks. But I think that what we we do know is that you're going to have a much more closely divided Congress. It's going to be a lot harder to get some things done. Uh, but on the you know on the on the Republican side on the House, you know, there's going to be a lot of focus on crypto, on fintech. You've got you know a, a new um, House Financial Services Chairman who is very interested in those topics, who has already signaled that he's willing to have a bill on stablecoin. So a lot of focus on that and that piece. I think he's got alignment with Treasury, interestingly enough, probably more alignment there than he's got with the Senate banking uh, lead, uh, Jared Brown. And so, you know, we're, we're focused in that space. We're really thinking about what's the future of stablecoin, um, of central bank digital currency, uh, obviously, again, sort of on the regulatory side, we know that Fed now is coming and we, we're helping our members kind of think through the right questions and how to be prepared for Fed now. So when, when they roll out uh, Fed now and what that pilot looks like. So a lot coming down the pike and, and the election, you know, yes, we have more certainty than we did two weeks ago, but a lot of uncertainty in terms of how do those two agendas kind of align and what's that going to look like going forward for banks. And you talk about uncertainty, the massive blow up of uh, crypto exchanges has really put a like a massive damper on the enthusiasm people had for crypto. What I find interesting is the underlying blockchain technology still has some real robust capabilities that I think folks could spend more time looking at and learning about. Because if you think of the, the crypto as a token that is essentially a proof of concept, it shows that there are some new rails potentially being developed that could make settlement that much faster that could have real profound implication on authentication and identification which are two issues that you touched on earlier I think the regulatory space there's a lot of people that are going to be banging elbows trying to say hey this is my seat at the table I've got a, a voice is it difficult to make sense on at least the crypto front of you know all the different players that are trying to claim jurisdiction on you know who makes the ultimate call yeah well, part of it's just a sexy issue, right? And part of it is uh, you don't want to be you don't want to be caught with uh, holding the bag or looking like you were behind the eight ball. And obviously, you know, I think so many of the regulatory um, agencies right now are all really concerned that they are going to look foolish if there's not been some kind of regulatory apparatus and regime and oversight over some of these firms. But on the banking side, you know, we continue to say that this is really a, the opportune time for banks to really lead in this discussion because a lot of what's happened in the crypto space is kind of banking 101. It's it's business 101. It's the fundamentals, right? It's it's asset liability mismanagement. It's um, kind of not just running the business as it should be. But to your point, some of the fundamentals of blockchain, for example, there are use cases. And I think you see a lot of banks looking at what are the use cases and how are we how are we ultimately going to benefit our customers by some of this new technology. And I'd say that there's kind of three different flavors of where banks are. Some banks are in the very beginning stages and just trying to understand what what is this. Uh, many banks, I'd say the vast majority, especially of our banks, are in this space of testing it out. They've got you know, entire divisions kind of focused on this and the future of this and how they can actually, uh, you know, use it to benefit their customers. And then there are those banks who are all in and really kind of, you know, trying to drive the, the train a bit um, and, and lead that conversation and really see it as the future. So we've seen a different kind of variety, but I would say most of the banks are in this space of trying to figure it out. 
CBA just started a working group um, on digital payments and really focused on things like stablecoin and CBDC because we see the Fed, the New York Fed, others, you know, obviously making some big movements here. Well, as you're talking, this is a, just a great reminder that banking isn't boring. So maybe that maybe that's a Twitter handle that you could use. Banking isn't boring. <laughs> care of the CBA. Uh, but, you know, talking about not looking foolish, that's something I really worry about. Again, as a parent, I find myself looking foolish unexpectedly uh, <laughs> at times. I will not share on this pod, but maybe some other time we can get into it. But thinking about the pressures that people face and really small business trends we're making note of, I think it's good if we, you know, kind of keep Queen and David Bowie in the back of our head, you know, so under pressure seems to be a, a song fitting for small businesses across this country in particular. Is there anything that the CBA is paying close attention to when it comes to the small business community? Oh, absolutely. Small businesses, you know, I mean, look, they're the bread and butter of of the economy. Um, You know, CBA member banks actually make about 45% of all small business loans in the country. So heavily, heavily invested. We led through the pandemic with PPP funds, um, funding over half of those PPP loans. So very invested. We want to see small business kind of make it through this next phase of the economy. And we really think our banks are well positioned to help them do that. So, you know, there is, I mean, again, you know, credit application volumes continue to remain robust. Um, We, you know, see very um, strong performance. So delinquencies and charge offs and things of, of that nature continue to be historically low, better than even 2018, 2019 levels. But we do start to see things uh, slowing, right? And all of the knock-on effects of just the supply chain issues, the talk about recession and people planning, you know, we know that demand is going to continue to to soften. So our, our folks are really thinking as that partner of small business and thinking about what are going to be their needs going forward, uh, really trying to help them kind of forecast out. And then also, you know, as small businesses are having those same challenges as the rest of the business world, moving to digitization, you know, how do they become, uh, you know, better at what they do? And banks are becoming a greater partner in all of those different areas, really helping them think about their expense management and their talent management, you know, all those different ways that a bank actually through their own platforms can serve small businesses. Um, so I think that, you know, there's a, a huge opportunity for banks to continue to serve the unique needs of small businesses. And we think that that's going to be even more important over the next couple of quarters. Yeah, totally agree. And it's interesting to, to take note. Right now, credit remains pristine, but there are real challenges. You talk about inflation, you talk about wage expectations, labor, you know, shortages and tightening. You know, so you have these, these competing forces that... I believe larger institutions like the ones that really comprise the the core CBA membership are in a position to help drive some positive change. A lot of small and even mid-sized business owners don't necessarily understand the business of finance and banking. And this is one of those opportunities to say our community is not necessarily defined by our geographic presence, but the ability to serve and help grow organizations. And if there's ways to accelerate the learning that is needed to run a business successfully. I think that's where banks, you're not going to see it on the balance sheet, but it certainly falls in line with being part of the community and, and making sure the vibrancy of the small and mid-sized businesses remains strong for this, this economy. 
Yeah. And it's that life cycle of the customer, right? And we do it for the consumer and banks are really thinking about how to keep those customers for that life cycle. And they're thinking about that on the small business side too. And so understanding sort of, you know, what small business or businesses are looking into in terms of the economy, you know, employment, um, the labor challenges, the supply challenges, trying to help them forecast, you know, how to be prepared, um, all those things. I mean, we, we see our members having those conversations. We've got a small business committee here within CBA, and those are the exact conversations that they're having. They're having conversations about the fraud that these small businesses are, are seeing. And so, you know, what that means for uh, for their own businesses and for their own books, too. Yeah, and it's interesting. Sometimes I think we forget banks are businesses. So we we act like this is an industry just because it's heavily regulated and it's going through periods of consolidation that we're different from other industries. When you think about how and where people make decisions, you, you know, you're not able to go back in time and say, hey, I should have done something different. You sometimes just have to adjust on the fly and, and make smarter bets for the future. And I, again, I, I think about how people are digitizing, how they're trying to transform. There's the twin tower of transformation on the tech front and on the talent side. It's happening in banking, but it's happening in healthcare and manufacturing and retail. And we're all in this together, you know, to draw from our old COVID friends, you know, we're all in this together, but we can learn from one another and we can see things that might help us not make mistakes going forward. So you touched on fintech earlier. Uh, I'm a I'm an unabashed fan of the friendly fintechs that are helping to move this industry forward. I'm a little suspect on the ones that are trying to displace, if not disrupt, the banking industry because this is a massively important sector in the global economy. So I'm going to use the Rolling Stone sympathy for the devil to talk about some of the not-so-friendly fintechs. Uh, I don't want banks to take the victory lap because their valuations are down and they're having some challenges, but let's talk a little bit about the fintech space in a competitive way. Again, you've got a number of great banks that are pushing forward, that are trying to digitize in places that are formerly analog, but they're dealing with some of these fintechs that don't have the same, uh, I'll call it business DNA around risk compliance, regulatory expectations. How do you think about the non-friendly fintechs today? Well, so a couple of different, you know, categories I put the non-friendly fintechs in. It's those that, you know, there's this whole discussion about fintechs coming in and disintermedi- disintermediating banks. And that did happen for, you know, on certain product lines. But I think by and large, what we see now is it's really important to have access to deposits and other sources of funding. And so banks continue to have the ability to innovate while also kind of being that steady hand. And so that is really um, coming to the benefit of the consumer, coming to the benefit of the economy. And what I think is going to continue to happen is you're going to see banks who are already, especially CBA members, you know, the, the nation's leading banks, continue to be leaders in innovation. And so it's not this stodgy old business, you know, that, that I think a lot of people think about. I mean, we're going to see probably a million people laid off in tech and in fintech, you know, by the end of probably the first quarter of this coming year in total. That's an enormous pipeline of talent. And you see banks picking those folks up and uh, and really kind of just adding to their own talent, uh, you know, data engineers and data scientists uh, and being able to be innovators. And so I think this is going to, this whole evolution of banking is upon us. There are so many exciting things that are happening. The other category of sort of those unfriendly fintechs would, would be the Walmarts and the Apples and the Googles. And they are in a class of their own. 
And that's where CBA pushes back very strongly and says, okay, look, we've had for decades, you know, uh, uh, delineation between banking and, um, and, you know, consumer uh, and uh, banking and, um, sorry, <laughs> just want to play here. But, you know, we, we really need to make sure that, oh, banking commercial. And we really need to see the inverse. We need to make sure that we've got uh, this delineation between commercial you know, institutions getting into banking. And so we've been very vocal. We'd actually have alignment with the CFPB, alignment with some of the other consumer groups who have concerns about Google and about Amazon entering into banking uh, and offering financial products directly to consumers. And we've seen some of the fallout of when a consumer is offered different products like buy now, pay later, uh, you know, where they get they can get it from a bank and you've got pretty strict disclosures, pretty, you know, very strict safeguards in place. And then if it's from another provider that has nothing uh, akin to that, it really leaves the consumer at a disadvantage. So yeah. we continue to really have some concerns about just that unlevel playing field and have real concerns about some of those behemoth tech companies coming into the space. Well, what's interesting, you know, you bring up Walmart. Walmart for years was, you know, thrown up as the, you know, the big competitive force that was going to truly disrupt banking because people thought about the branch network and they equated it to the Walmart, you know, physical experience. I think it's interesting that Walmart has re-entered the mix, not because of their physical, you know, presence, but because of the acquisitions they're making, the types of talent that they're trying to bring in. Thinking about data and how they're able to look at their customers' spending uh, behavior and using that to model off decisions. I mean, there's some really sophisticated things happening in the world of data and analytics. Uh, I think this is where banks should not become complacent. Just because some of the fintechs are down in value doesn't mean they're down in ambition. And I think there is a natural opportunity to say, okay, your business model used to be valued at X because you were masquerading as a SaaS business, when in reality, maybe you were just a lending front. That doesn't change the fact you were a great marketer. You were able to acquire customers. So we can talk about how much it was to acquire the customer, but you were able to do something that banks were sleeping on. I wouldn't get so, again, complacent that the fintech space is is gone. I think there's more that's going to be coming up. We've got to continue to learn. We've got to continue to partner with one another. But yours is a good point. There are some there are some competitive forces that are out there. Their names are familiar, but you shouldn't assume you know everything that they're doing right now. Right, right. A lot happening in that space. And the way that they're coming about it is not the way that we were you know, 10 years ago worried about. Um, I think my biggest fear is, you know, for a Walmart, for an Amazon, they don't have to go out and build their customer base. They've got the customer. So it's it's front and center for them. And so we just want to make sure that we're kind of thinking about, you know, how does, how quickly can they move to market? What does that look like? Um, couldn't agree with your, your point about the partnership between banks and fintechs. I really don't see it as much as adversarial as nearly as much as I think, you know, we've thought about it in the past. I think that there are, you know, yes, there are areas where in the personal loan segment, you know, there are like 60% of all personal loans now which go into fintechs. Uh, but there's a lot more partnerships that are occurring and you see a lot more banks buying fintechs. You see fintechs buying banks. We see SoFi, we see Lending Club. I mean, I think you're going to see more of that. Um, so I think it's going to continue to be this evolution of, 
you know, really understanding sort of where they can leverage each other and, and, um, and see more of that partnership yeah, occur. Yeah. And Lindsay, as you're saying this, I'm again, I'm geeking out on the music side. I'm just thinking about Tom Petty and his song Wildflowers, because that's kind of the the image that I have, which is we've got this really you know massive world in front of us. And there's some things that are growing up that aren't expected, but they're going to bear some pretty beautiful results. So yeah. finding a way to have a, a, a level playing field, I think, is so important on the regulatory front. I had a chance to spend a little bit of my early career with the former chairman of the FDIC, Bill Seedman. And Mr. Seedman was fond of a number of tricks of phrase. But one that's always stood out to me is from a regulatory standpoint, if they're doing their job correctly, they essentially are like a boxing official. You got two combatants in the ring and they should be allowed to slug it out, provided that they're hitting above the belt. It's when things start to get sideways or you're out of the ring that that's where the regulators have to bring you back in to make sure it's a fair fight. And so what I'm excited about for Washington as we move forward are finding more people that can be pragmatic and understand that competition and capitalism are bedrocks of this country. And the regulatory bodies have opportunities to encourage behavior, not necessarily punish behavior. Right. So I'll get off off my soapbox on this one. Fully agree. (laughs) I'll get off my soapbox because I got one last song for you. Uh, It's by Warren G. And it's basically, you can't be any geek off the street. And this is from regulators. (laughs) And the reason I'm bringing that up is, you know, you're no geek off the street coming in to lead the CBA. You've got a really cool background and have a lot of people who are pulling for you and are excited for you to really take the CBA forward. So how can bankers better engage with you and your team in the coming months? Man, well, it is an exciting time to be a banker. It's a really exciting time to be joining CBA. And, you know, I took this helm about four uh, of CBA about four months ago. It's a hundred year old organization and it's done phenomenal things focused in the consumer retail space, but there is so much uh, but, you know, there's so much more that we are aiming to do. And so, you know, some of the issues that are front and center for the industry in terms of the future of banking and what that looks like, the future of payments, you know, we are really focusing in on those issues, really trying to shape the, how the regulatory and the uh, agencies and the policymakers are thinking about those issues. And, you know, issues like um, 1033 and 1071 that, again, are front and center and, and all things kind of CFPB. We really work through our 14 committees. These are the typically the heads of these different business segments that sit on our committees and they they drive our uh, our analysis, they drive our advocacy and our communication, our messaging. And so I would encourage, you know, the bankers that are members to continue to do what they they do. They engage and they're incredibly vocal through our different committees. And then if, you know, if you're a retail bank and you are in the purview of the CFPB in, in particular, this is a place where you want to be. You want to be with your colleagues, having those conversations, hearing how others are thinking about the future. And uh, and now you can attest to this better than anybody. Banks are thinking about it in a lot of different ways right now. It depends how you, you know, the bank that you talk to, how their strategic focus is and, and really what they're thinking is the future of banking and how quickly they're moving to get there. And so just a lot of learning and a lot of that collaboration and, and discussion happens within CBA. And I think uh, it's really important to have that ability to convene these bankers and to have those conversations and then ultimately to to shape, you know, the regulatory and the operating environment 
here in D.C. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting time. It's a wonderful uh, organization. Get behind it. Check out what Lindsay's doing. They've got an incredible event called CBA Live. I think that's going to be where? Las Vegas this year? Las okay. Vegas. Las Vegas. That's right. March 27th to the 29th. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll bust out some Elvis Presley for that one. And Viva Las Vegas. And thank you to Lindsay. This has been awesome. I'm Al Dominic. We appreciate everyone getting plugged in with Cornerstone Advisors today. 